Welcome to the Wrongful Convictions Project. I'm David Greenwald of the Davis Vanguard, along with Lisa Ray from Restorative Justice International. Restorative Justice International and the Davis Vanguard have launched this joint effort creating the Wrongful Conviction Project. This is our first podcast. Our mission is to highlight the need to address wrongful convictions through restorative justice principles. This includes working with those who are innocent and have been exonerated, but yet have not received restitution or an apology. We support policy changes that will protect those who are innocent while urging those who have contributed to a wrongful conviction to be held accountable. Restorative justice seeks to make things right after crimes for victims of crime and hold offenders accountable. So today we have on our show Maurice Caldwell, who was wrongly convicted of murder and served 20 years of prison for a crime that he did not commit. And we also have Paige Canip of the Northern California Innocence Project. So welcome to the show, both of you. Hey, thank you for having me, David and Lisa. Honored to be here. Thanks for having us. So can we have um, maybe some background on Maurice's case and uh, and how he came to be wrongly convicted? Sure. Um, I mean, Maurice's is one of those cases where you sometimes wonder how this happened in the same place. The only evidence the state ever was able to create against him uh, was getting his next-door neighbor who had told the police the shooter doesn't live around here. I don't know their names or nicknames. And then through basically a, prof- a process of improper lineup procedures and um, bribing the witness, got her to implicate Maurice instead. Um, and that's it. That's the whole case. He got a life sentence just based on that. And how did he get freed? So we were able to show that there was a whole bunch of evidence of innocence, a lot of which existed um, even at the time people had told police who the real shooter was and we were able to follow up on that the the real killer also by the time we got the case had already confessed under oath that it was him and he also went on to identify other people involved all of whom have always said that Maurice was not the shooter and you know not even on the street at any time I think it's really important to note that because they got the wrong person in this case, the actual killer went free and and ended up killing again, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, a huge part of wrongful convictions is that, you know, not only do you have the wrong person in custody, but you don't catch the actual killer, assuming there's a there's a crime. And yes, David, I just want to intervene. And that is a major factor in this type of case when it comes to wrongful conviction, wrongful conviction, because society, they don't never want to accept the fact that they they got the wrong person and the actual person really went and killed again. So therefore, the accountability to, to even stand in front of that and apologize to me and accept for what they did to me is it, more greater, is more higher, you know, is more you know, rebellious against that type of accountability. Now, Maurice, when you're serving that time, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? I'm thinking it's not, it's not, not it's not necessarily like thinking because the thinking process was over once I got 
wrongfully conviction. It was all about what I know, what I was going to accept in my life and what I was going to accept by me being in prison, you know? So my whole mind frame became like determined. I'm determined to show, show the wrongness in this case, you know, and overcome what have been wrongfully done to me. So it's, there was no time, time for me to let what they did to me sink in and just accept it. I had to fight, you know, and, and just let my mind be on overturning what, I, what was wrongfully done to me. And were you thinking you were going to get out at some point or, or did you think you were going to just be stuck there? I, oh, it was like, like you could talk to a lot of exonerees and they said, you know, they gave up and I never thought I'd get out. But I always knew I was going to come home. Always, you know, because I grew up around my, my grandmother raised me and she raised me to the point to where accountability in my life, I stand in front of that. And I looked at if I didn't do this crime, I wasn't going to sit here and just do all this time, you know. So therefore, me sitting in prison and fighting for this, this, this case to be overturned, I knew in my heart that I just couldn't accept it and I wasn't going to accept it. And people that was in my life, like family, they wasn't going to allow me to accept it, you know. So it was just pure determination on no matter what. And Paige, um, how typical is Maurice's case? I would say Maurice's is atypical both in sort of the how problematic and weak the original case against him was and also how much evidence there is and, and sort of has been, has come out over 27 years. There are something like 11 witnesses who have either who have told police or testified that Maurice was um, inside an apartment. There were like five people in the apartment. And then also all of these people who were on the street who have both identified the real killers and said um, that Maurice wasn't out there. So there's just a, I mean, it's pretty rare that we get that much evidence of innocence. Um, and I think also pretty rare for people to be convicted on that little and sort of that pro- kind of problematic evidence of guilt. Um but otherwise, I mean, the fact that he's wrongfully convicted is unfortunately far too common and is something we just see. Um, it's just, to me, anyways, has been really surprising how common it is that um, it shouldn't be, right? We know the system gets things wrong. We don't trust the government to do a whole lot. But um, somehow in criminal justice, we, uh, at least I was raised thinking that mostly the justice system gets it right. How long did it take once the Innocence Project got involved in the case for him to get out? So that's a tough question to ask. He was asking for help and, uh, you know, proclaiming his innocence from day one. As he can tell you, he wrote endless letters to people, including various Innocence Projects. Um, and part of what happened was the San Francisco Public Defender's Office had an innocence project that shut down, but initially kept his case because it was so promising, and then eventually realized they just didn't have the bandwidth to deal with it. And sort of fortunately for me, it came right as I was, uh, I graduated from law school and was volunteering while waiting for bar results, and it uh, came in that time, and I got assigned to it, got to meet Maurice, and from there it was about three and a half years. Um which to me felt like an eternity, but I can tell you from Maurice's 
my point of view. He spent, you know, much longer. I mean, my whole, I t- I've talked about this with him. You know, I was nine years old when he went to prison. So I went through, you know, finished elementary school, went through high school, went through college, went through law school, and all that time he's fighting his case. Well, his case always resonates with me because he's right around the same age as me. And so I can track his life through my life. And so, you know, he gets in and uh, it's X year of my life. And then he gets out and it's X year of my life. Uh, It's really sobering to think about all the things that I got to do that he doesn't get to do. Dave, I, I would just like to say, you know, like Paige was speaking about the way my case is and to way it is now. And I just want to say that it didn't just start with the Santa Clara Innocent Project about me fighting for my actual innocence. It started from day one, from in the county jail. I, I never knew I had to fight in the county jail until after I got convicted. Once I got convicted, I was in the library, the law library. When I went to St. Quentin, I, I was in the law library. I was writing all type of legal advocates, lawyers and them, you know, explaining that I'm innocent. I didn't do this crime. That was from day one. I even came to the point to where I was writing 60 minutes, Dateline, 20, 2020, uh, uh, Inside Edition, Mari Povic, Offer Winfrey. These were the people that I was reaching out to. You know, like they say, when people is in prison, they cry woof. I was crying enough to where somebody, out of all these people I was writing, all these you know projects I was writing, somebody was gonna answer my you know my letter and just see what this man talking about, and I stayed persistent at that. Then I was in New, uh, 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 I think it was uh, New Jersey. That was Jim McClock, uh, 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 Innocent Project is Jim McCloskey. Oh, yeah, Centurion Ministry. Century Century Ministry. That was the first one I ever did. (laughs) So when I first uh, went to prison, Folsom was the prison I went to, and they had a a news reporter came into the prison, and they was documenting a guy named Chance. He was the first innocent person that I seen in prison. So when the news people was there, I was one of them guys that wanted to just run in front of them and just holler to the news, I'm innocent, I didn't do the crime. So what I did, I followed and pursued. When they when they left him, I went to his cell and I asked him, I said, hey man, my name is Maurice Caldwell, man, I didn't do the crime. I said, how can I get that type of publicity in my case? And he told me who to write. I wrote to uh, Jim McCloskey. They investigated my case for a, a number of months, probably up to a year. And then they said they, further investigation was needed uh, up north. So that's when I reached out and I got in touch with the uh, the uh, Innocent Project that uh, Jeff Adachi, the public defender, rest in peace, because his soul, he was uh, the top uh, public defender. He he opened an Innocent Project within his office, and they accept, and I wrote them, and they accepted my case. And from there, when they closed it down, that's when I got referred to the uh, Santa Clara page and them, you know, but my case was one of the cases in the San Francisco public defender office that his name was Paul Mice, Paul, my lawyer say Maislin. I call him Paul Maislin. It's Paul Maislin. This was a lawyer that was investigating my innocence and he refused to give up my case. He had, they had the right people and say we had to give it. And he gave a letter of recommendation to the Santa, Santa Clara innocent project that they should, investigate my case and that's how i got in contact with page and them 
And Paige, as you're going through this process, are you thinking, okay, we're going to get this guy out? Or are you thinking, man, this is never going to happen? So because I was straight out of law school, I totally was like, oh, we are going to get this guy out, you know, just present the evidence of innocence and everyone will agree and the doors will open. And I, I definitely had a very rosy view of the, of the system. And you've since learned uh, it doesn't work that way. It I tried. I mean, sometimes it does, but that is not the uh, the common path. I mean, in in Maurice's case, the uh, district attorney's office fought us, and and one of the things that was so tragic was they fought in part on um, on just getting time. They just kept asking for more and more extensions of time, and Maurice was just like incredibly patient um but the one thing he wanted was his mom was sick and he wanted to get out in time to take care of her and she um tragically passed away mm. while they were asking for extensions of time wow what's interesting is you know when you watch the movies um the exonerations are, are kind of the end of the movie and, you know, everybody's hugging and crying and there, there's not a dry eye in the house and, uh, and it's a big celebration. Uh, but unfortunately this isn't just, they live happily ever after. Um, uh, Maurice was out in 2011, I believe. And, uh, he's been struggling, um, since that time. Um, Maurice, do you want to kind of talk about, uh, what it's been like since you've been out? Yeah. I just, I just want to say, you know, when I speak about what happened to me, you know, I try to take it as, you know, it just happened to me. But then when I, you know, sit, my heart just won't allow me to just accept that it just happened to me. Cause like Paige said, you know, I lost all my family. And just like you just said, when people, you watch these movies when people come home, exonerees and wrongfully convicted, they come home to loved ones, family. You know, me, I, I didn't have that. I didn't. I lost all my fam- the, my immediate family. You know, it was just like everybody that believed in my innocence, that was my immediate family, that was coming to see me, I lost all of them. You know what I'm saying? And it hurt, it really hurt it, and it hurt today. You know, because I, I still feel that in my heart, I got. I. 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 I don't know if I. I, I feel guilt. You know that I, I wasn't here for my family. You know, but I. It's like, if somebody was, if they was to walk up and they would say, Maurice, we apologize for 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 the time we took out your life, and not just the time we took out your life, but the time we took away from you and your family, and for you not to be here for them. You know, it would really mean something to me. You know, but for right now. It hurts me every day, you know, and like I say, I, I had my sister. That was the last one that was here for me when I came home that believed in me. So my life out here has been has been bad. It's been bad. And I tell people every day, you know, that it's like my, my life is like a puzzle, you know, and it's pieces, you know, but the pieces could never be put together and make me com- complete and whole unless it's acceptable to people that did the wrong to me, man. You know, it's like there's no justification for any wrongdoings. You know, apology, that don't justify. Compensation, it don't justify. It's just realizing that it was a wrong done and, and we're going to fix the wrong and make it better next time. That's why I, I was telling Paige earlier that I am so grateful 
you know what I'm saying, to the progressive di- district attorneys that that's have taken the stand now and and get in or are in office and building innocent integrity units within their office to just look into these cases. It it is it's free to look into cases. When persons say this has happened, it's free. Just like the innocent the innocent projects all over the world. They're a nonprofit organization, man. You know, they 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 look into cases, they spend time and hours and patience into these type of cases to where it matters. And and when they when they find things, they bring it to the forefront and they go back to the same people that have been affected by this and that caused this and when they look at it they look at it like the lawyers say now they look at say let's just stand back and look at it in a in a fresher eye and a more cleaner eye with a cleaner lens about this without all the misconduct with all the fogginess and see what the results is and that's what the innocent project has done and and i'm grateful every day every day and like i say my story Every day in here, out here, I got, I have three kids. I struggle. I was almost homeless, you know, and, and all my hard times, it's, it's like my lawyers and them say, don't be angry. But I got, I, I am angry. I got to stay angry because even when I was in prison, my anger didn't help, didn't indulge, didn't indulge me into riots and a, a bad program. My anger uh, indulged me. And it motivated me to do the right thing so I could get the right positive results. And that's what I'm doing now. Ever since I've been home, I'm angry. Like when I come do these speakings, I got PTSD in the worst way. You know what I'm saying? Because I suffer each day and every day. And like I say, it's like a puzzle. So when I do these speakings, my heart, it, it aches every day and it hurts and, and, and it, it don't feel complete. But I feel by me being justified by doing something to bring awareness about what happened to me, that 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 helps me. That helped my PTSD. So that that helped me get through it. But like I say, I'm I struggle every day, every day. And it's just not about the apology and the compensation. It's about the person that stand up. You know, like they say, if you take somebody's life, you know, you can never apologize. But if you do some wrong to a person, you can sooner or later apologize. I didn't take anybody's life, and but me being in prison. And I feel bad for the person who ever lost their life, you know, for the crime. And I just want to just also say, like my lawyer, I told her when I first came home about the victim's family. You know what I'm saying? I just want to speak on the victim's family. For me being in prison for 21 years for wrongful conviction, the victims always, the victim family always felt they had justice by what the system provided to them and by the system you know, uh, doing their job and, and sending me to prison. But then after 20-some years, when the Innocent Project get my case overturned, it's another side to where it's injustice now, you know, that we got, we, that I always wanted to have my lawyers to reach out to the victim's family and let them look at things in the, in the straight, clear view. And even the district attorney office, we wanted to, you know, get together with them so we could bring closure and we could enlighten the victim's family as what's going on. My family can never be healed. My family will never be here to know every day they pray for me to be free, that I'm actually free now. You know, only one so, person. So, um, Maurice, let me stop you. And David, okay. let me interject here. Sure. Um, let's talk about restorative justice because we're really talking about it right now. So, Maurice, um, you never did have contact then with the victim's family, did you? No. no. I, when, I, when I came home, me and my lawyer, Paige, we always wanted to reach out for the family, but my fear, 
my lawyer could tell you, when I went to court for the first time after 20, almost 21 years in prison and I came back to the San Francisco County Court, when I looked in back of me, I asked my lawyer, like, who are them? And they, they told me that was, that was the victim family. And my heart just, I just got scared, you know? Mm, and like, that's Judy Acosta. Is yes, that right? Yes, name? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, name. it's his name, his name. It's a, it's a guy. Oh, I'm sorry. But oh, okay. I, when, when we, she, so we did actually reach out to the, when the family was in the courtroom, we gave them our cards in case they wanted to talk, but they, uh, we never heard anything from them. That, right, right. It's so difficult because they're not seen as neutral per se. No. But go they, ahead, Maurice. And right. they, no, they're not going to yeah. see it that way because they got the support of the, the same people that that sent me there, you know, in prison, that that's fighting me, you know. They got the the guys saying, "Oh, we're gonna fight, we're gonna fight," you know. And this is what the victims' family are secure with. But now, when when I was in court, I feared for my life. I seen in in pr- prison, I seen on TV, you know, where victims jumped over the thing and fought the uh, the perpetrator that did harm to their family. So I'm sitting in here with my back turned, and I looked at the security. The courtroom security, he don't even have a gun. You know, he got mace. I'm telling my lawyer, Paige, I fear for my life. You know, these vic- these people in back of me feel like I was the one that did this, man. You know, so we need to let these people right now today, and I feel, I still fear walk around with fear in my life right now that these people feel like I did this, and they need to be we need we need to reach out. That's what I, I'm thankful for, restorative justice, and I always want to do that because, like I say, for 21 years, the victim family have always thought they had justice, you yeah. know, and yeah. my family knew it was injustice. So we still yeah. got two, two, two sides that's very bad. And then right. when I come home, it's still, it's now it's three sides bad. It's the victim's family, my, me, and then it's the justice system that don't want to step up. There's nobody. But once we all come together and gather the hands that messed it up, and work with each other, and that's what I, that's what I want. That's what I always wanted because that right there, that's a part of my healing. When this family feel that it wasn't me and they look at the, all the evidence that's here, then I could feel justified. But I would never feel justified if that's being deprived, you know, because I wasn't the one that killed their family. I wasn't the one that did harm to the family or had an encounter in their family, and I would, the one, I would love to be the one that tell them this in my words. You know, not right. by third parties and all that, you know, because like I say, if a, a guilty person I look at in my life and I will I will never, you know, give thumbs up to a person that fight for so long. If you were guilty, you know, they say don't never fight, never fight. But, yeah, why step in the way of an innocent fight if you're guilty? And that's just like when it comes to screening letters for the Innocent Project. If you know you had 1% involvement in this case, don't be sending letters to, the, to that office with, you know, saying you didn't do it. That's messing it up for other people. And that's what I want to feel in my heart that I'm able to be out here and be angry, but be, still have something to serve that's, that's righteous and, and, and that's, that's, that's fair. And that's all I ask for for the system, man. You know, and like I say, with the progressive uh, district attorneys going in right now, I feel honored. Like I told my lawyer today, man, that old school song, A Day Have Come, it has, man. You know, because people are starting to understand that it's, it's, it's better, it's better. It's better ways to deal with situations, not just by looking at situations, it's understanding. And it's looking at it in, in both views, not just one, you know. So I, I'm sorry for talking too much. So, Marisa, 
we we share your anger. You know, um, David and I uh, pulled this project together because we both have a passion about restorative justice and wrongful convictions. So we feel your anger. And you are a victim of the justice system. And two victims were made, both during that shooting and then you. Yes, ma'am. You were a victim. And so because of that, because of that, as I said at the start, you're owed an apology by the system, but also compensation. And in the restorative justice um, language, that's restitution, which is a biblical um, reflection of justice. So restitution. Let's talk about that. So, um, Paige, uh, what's happened in, in uh, Maurice's case about restitution? Uh, so, so far, Maurice has been denied compensation. Um, our, the way our system works is even after you've proven that you're wrongfully convicted, you don't automatically get uh, compensated for that time. You have to additionally prove a negative that you did not commit the crime. Um, and that's where, despite having this absolute mountain of evidence, uh, Maurice has just unfairly been denied repeatedly. Um, and I can, I guess the few things I would love to say just about how stacked the system is against people like Maurice is um, even though there's, so there's an administrative board that gets to make a final decision on whether you're compensated or not. And in front of that board, who actually hadn't heard directly from any witnesses and had declined an invitation to come out and look at the scene so they could see for themselves that uh, the one person who identified Maurice couldn't even actually say, couldn't even see what she claimed to have seen, um, said, well, basically it's a tie and in our system, a tie goes to the state, even though Maurice should be entitled to a presumption of innocence and has already proven he was wrongfully convicted, he gets uh, nothing. And and you're talking about the one witness, um, Marie, is it Mary um, Cobb? Yeah. That's the, Mary yeah. Cobb. And she's no longer alive, is that right? That's correct. Yes. So, so um, you're talking about the the board that denied him. Is that the California Victim Compensation Board? Yes. Yes. So, you know, in the work that we do, RJI, um, working with crime victims nationally and internationally, we do a lot of work on behalf of crime victims. So, when I hear that, that the California Victim Compensation Board said, in essence, his case, um, what he doesn't really reflect innocence. I'm really appalled by that. And um, that's when um, we're standing up for Maurice and saying, no, that shouldn't be. Now, ha has that board ever given compensation to an exoneree? Do you know? Yes, it, yes, it has. Um, most of the time, only when required to do so. Like, there are various laws in certain situations. They don't have a choice. They just have to compensate. And that tends to be the majority of the time. The other problem we see is they tend to always vote with whatever the attorney general's office says. So if the attorney general's office opposes compensation, as it did in Maurice's case, and remember, they're part of this adversarial system, so they also had fought against Maurice, um, like Maurice's appeal, and tried to uphold his conviction in the first place, then they turn around and get a say in whether he's compensated or not. And in fact, their, their say seems to be the one that almost always carries the day. And, and um, again, he, does he have to prove that he's factually innocent? Is that the phrase? Yeah. And what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. How do you define that? That means something. Let me <laughs> define it. That, let me define it in my work. Yeah. That means something crazy because <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, it's, that's just like asking a ghost, is you invisible? 
how can you tell an innocent person to prove they're innocent? You know, you could tell a guilty person to prove that he's not guilty by showing that he's innocent. But how can you tell an innocent person to prove you're not innocent? You know, it don't make no sense. And just like that, that board right there, that board is just like society. You know, I ain't gonna say I'm not gonna speak for the whole board members because there was like it's always it's, it's supposed to be always three board members on the comp- victims compensation board, and one he they usually be rational. The one is a very rational person, but then you got these other two people that's just influential with law, influential with the law, so they make decisions that hold on. This this is not the type of board to be giving these type of people wrongful convictions money, all this money that we have, and we should be using these funds for other things that's more important. So they're not set to deal with innocent cases because it's like the system. When I was released, they didn't have no, they didn't, I was released after 21 years. I didn't know anything about society. When I was getting transported from Folsom to San Francisco County Jail, I was in the, in the transportation van and pointing at cars and being so enthused about cars and happy, the, 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 the transportation correctional officers was like, what is wrong with this guy? Why is he so hyper and surprised about how cars look? They didn't know my situation. And then when, when, I, when they asked me, like, man, you know, how long you been locked up? When I told them 20-some years, it, 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 it stunned them. You know, they were surprised and they was fully understand. Oh, we understand now why he's so surprised. I say I wasn't seeing cars like this in a long time. So then when I come (laughs) to the county jail and I finally get the day of release, when they release me, they dress me out and 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 and, uh, and donated clothes. Like when people donate clothes to the county jail for like if you found on the street, half naked or whatnot, they will have clothes for you. So they provided them type of clothes for me after 20, 21 years, but they failed to acknowledge giving me a bus token or a go phone or any type of directions on where I'm right. supposed to go. You know what I'm saying? They just right. like go out. They didn't know who was out there for me, you know? And like and, I stopped. And Maurice, let me interject here. Let yes, me go ma'am. back a little bit to what we were saying, though. That's very important what you're talking about. But Paige, again, can you define factually innocent? From your standpoint? So the, the way, um, uh, no, I mean, the thing is, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it means different things to different people, and that's part of the problem. So, I mean, our whole criminal justice system is designed where the state has to prove guilt because we know that people can't prove, you know, the vast majority of people aren't walking around with, like, a video camera that can show that they're innocent of a certain crime at any point in the day. And especially that's true, you know, if you think about Maurice's case in 1990, like, how is it that he could possibly show innocence? There's nothing to DNA test. You could get a confession from the real killer. We have that. You could get eyewitnesses to identify the real killer. We have that. You could get witnesses to, to say he's somewhere else. We have that. But none of that has been enough. And then I've seen other cases where a judge will say, well, there's no reliable evidence of guilt. And so that is proof of innocence. Um, and so it just it really... It means different things to different people, and there's no objective standard, and that's one of the problems is people can just sort of subjectively say, well, I don't know if I'm convinced, and therefore um, we're not going to make this right in any way. We recognize that we made a mistake, but not enough of one that we want to pay for it. Right, and so um, this project, the Wrongful Conviction Project, um, we support uh, Maurice getting restitution and 
uh, compensation. So what's the status of it and where do we go from here? Um, so his he has uh, attorneys right now that have appealed the denial um, from the board and that's pending. Um, we're also hopeful that the district attorney's office will be willing to take another look. Um, and other than that, I, I mean, he's, I, I don't want to ever think Maurice is at a dead end. It's felt like that at various points, but I think for all of us having um, different people be able to take a look does bring new hope and having the sort of Justice International and the Vanguard and this whole project interested is, um, I think, brought some new life to it. And so I'm hopeful that um, something will happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and let me just say, too, and then I'll give it back to David. You know, I met Maurice last year um, in Davis, California, at the Davis Vanguard event on prosecutorial conduct. And we just spoke uh, briefly, Maurice, but we are totally committed to helping you and being involved in any way we can and supporting um, your attorneys. And uh, because this is right. And, you know, we support prosecutors um across the country, and as does David, um, who support restorative justice and understand that wrongful convictions have to be righted. And so we stand with you, and it's great to talk to you both. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very Let much. Let me just throw in one more thing, too. Is we are trying to clarify what that actually, what proving innocence actually means and tying it to a standard around is there evidence of guilt? Is there anything left to point to the person left? Because if there's not, then the one thing, you know, this, this presumption of innocence that's in our Constitution is enshrined in our system, and our Supreme Court has recently said exonerees are entitled to it. Once we recognize that they were wrongfully convicted, they have to be presumed innocent again. Right, and, and that they are crime victims. And that's a, yeah. that's a key point, that they're crime victims. Like, and, you know, so much in our country, we talk about tough on crime, and it's usually favoring crime victims. Yes, but we work with crime victims. Yes, there are crime victims like Maurice and Jeffrey Deskovic and so yes, many others across this country. Yes, so we stand with you. And yeah, think, so go ahead, David. I'm I'm done with my question. Well, I I think there are two more points I I would like to make. One, Paige, uh, I mean, is it possible to get legislation to clarify some of this stuff and and, and kind of uh, finesse the system that way? Yeah, so we do have pending legislation um, through Senator Skinner's office that is um, that is about clarifying the standards. So that's one of the things that we've been working on. We our hope was to just make it so that once you're wrongfully convicted, get out of prison, that's enough for you. That that the proof that you've been wrongfully convicted and showing that in a court of law would be enough to just turn around and immediately get restitution for that time um but there was we ended up in appropriations and there were many issues and so um but so i do think that building support around um our bill and i know lisa you've been in touch with our policy person about this but it would be great for people to know and be able to support and push their legislators to support um bills around helping. I mean, Maurice has been just a huge advocate for other exonerees, for laws that help um, stop wrongful convictions from happening so people don't end up like him, and also laws on the other end to try and help people once they're out, and um, our, our bill on compensation. And that's a great uh, question. 
Sorry, but that's a great question, David, about legislation, because we would support that. And and also the, the comment that you made about, or Maurice did, about the California Victim Compensation Board. Well, if they're not the board that like this, then who is? And we need to find such a board or uh, pot of money because the money exists and, and you should be paid. Thank you. Can I can I just say uh, when the, the question David asked, you know, like laws, uh, you know, laws, it, it, you know, they change every day and they get on the ballots and, and we hope and pray. But I just want you all to know my hope and prayer has been answered with restorative justice and for district attorneys that's opening their doors to look into these type of cases instead of just having a closed door up in the district attorney office. This is, this is something that's, you know, like a day, uh, that old song say a day has come. That's how I feel to me. You know what I'm saying? I am inspired, you know what I'm saying, for district attorneys to just step up and just accept the fact that they are willing to take time to look on the other side and see if it's really what it really is, if the person actually is. And like David started when he first started, my case is just not like an original regular case. My case have two family victims. And if they deal with one family victims as being they was wrong, they still got another one to answer. You know, and that's 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 a heavy load. So that's why the fight in my case is so much bias that I feel and I feel by it, it has been biased in the past. Now things have changed. You know, every day it's a change. And we got the these new D.A. offices that's that's looking to these cases. And that's where that's where my hope come in. I'm hoping my case is still ongoing. Both of my cases are still ongoing. I'm still hollering and representing and saying I'm actual innocent. I wish I could go to the San Francisco district attorney office and knock on the door, you know, without sending a letter and say I'm innocent. Can you just look into my case? And they have people in that office that take a, you take a number and sit down and we'll get to you when we get to you. That's a blessing. And I just wanted to say one other thing. Uh, so I think it was about two years ago, I went to the Capitol and Maurice and a group of exonerees were all there. And they made some really important points because, you know, um, what happens is that if you're an exoneree, you walk out the door and you basically, they, they say, good luck. Um, if, if you've been convicted of a crime and are released, you get $200 gate money and you get access to all these services and you get access to job training and all sorts of other things that aren't available. I, I don't know, you know, they were trying to push for more legislation on that. I don't know what came of that effort. So some of that has been really successful, and I want to say that's largely in part to Exonerated Nation. Um, but they have, so now you actually get more, you get gate money and get more. It's now $2,000, and it's still not enough to do much with when you're starting fresh after 20-odd years. But um, but it is something. There is now also, just this past year, housing was added, um, and I am, and there's some education available. So we are getting better. Yes. Um, in terms of services and or at least having some services available, it's still a work in progress. Like we, one of our exonerees was released. He wanted counseling services and it turned out they sent him to basically a mental hospital where they wanted his CDCR number. So it was very re-traumatizing to him. Mm. Um, 
and there just there isn't really enough separate stuff set up for exonerees to be able to have their own um, services that are really formatted and created specifically for them. And we know they suffer from PTSD and that it's similar to war veterans, but we don't have them going to veterans hospitals. We are instead sending them to the prisoners' hospitals, and that's, uh, I think, still problematic. Well, I want to thank uh, Paige and Maurice for coming on our show. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. Uh, this has been the Wrongful Conviction Project. I'm David Greenwald. This is Lisa Ray. Thank you and join us again next month for another episode.